Turn in your New Testaments to Colossians 2, verses 20 through 23. Colossians 2, 20 through 23. When you get there, hold on to that. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, kind of the, the person that started that period of history that brought back the centrality of Jesus. We, one of the things we know about him is he knew for certain that salvation was a gift from God, that it was by grace alone, the action of God on our behalf. And also that salvation was by faith alone, simply by believing and receiving and not by our works. And he found such great rest and, and peace after incredible turmoil. Maybe what you don't know is before Martin Luther discovered the reality of the gospel, he literally tried to save himself. And it was ugly. He denied himself food. He punished his body in so many ways, trying to purge his own sins, trying to give a, a signal to God how serious he was about holiness. And he would spend hours in confession. He deprived himself of sleep. He exposed his body to extreme temperatures. He would lie naked on a, on a mon cold monastery floor uh, in the mental, middle of winter, all to try to, to purge his sin away, all to try to save himself through his own actions. Roland Bainton, who wrote one of the great biographies of Luther, said, quote, He fasted sometimes three days on end without a crumb, he laid upon himself long vigils and prayers far in excess of what was stipulated by his rule. He beat himself. He took off his blankets at night, nearly froze himself to death. He believed later in his life that the austerities of his time in the monastery had done permanent damage to his health. Luther himself declared, it's one of my favorite Martin Luther words, he looked back on his time in that monastery trying to save himself before he discovered the cross and the meaning of grace. He said, I was a good monk and I kept the rule of my monastic order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, don't you love that word? It was I. All my brothers at the monastery who knew me will bear this out. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with the vigils, the prayers, the reading, and other works. And he found release, and he found peace, and he was able to let it go and, and not have to save himself when he discovered the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it freed him to live confidently in the love of God purchased for him. It freed him to live by faith and to trust God for great and mighty things and to have a, a tremendous joy that we still feel today when we sing hymns like a mighty fortress is our God. Paul wants for us in Colossians 2, 20 through 23, he wants for us to have that confidence and that rest in the cross. He wants for us to, to see how our own works, if we put our faith in them, take away from the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to read to you our text, Colossians 2, 20 through 23. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, to the world, do you submit 
to its rules. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and human teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I'm going to get you to spell a little bit today. You might want to take a pen out. I'm going to get you to spell a few words. Paul is contrasting worldly philosophy, worldly religion, and what it is at its core with the grace of Jesus Christ. And they are radically different. Okay, the first thing I want you to spell is, you spell worldly religion, worldly philosophy. Here's the word letters. Write it down. D-O. What does that spell? Do. That's it. That's what Paul says. Worldly religion is about that word, do. You spell Christianity differently. It starts with D-O. You got your pen ready? D-O-N-E. What does that spell? Done. It is finished. It is completed. Grace is something that comes to us because of the action of God on our behalf and not our own attempt to save ourselves. The question here is who's going to be your Savior? Christ or you? And really, if you consider the God of the Bible, who is God, the one true and living God, three times holy, do, do we really think that we can do anything to substantially change our hearts enough as sinners, as selfish people, to be acceptable through to a three times holy God? Is there anything we, we can actually do and, and put our stamp on and say, see, I, I did it, and now I'm acceptable. Now I belong in your presence. That is exactly what worldly philosophy says and worldly principles of religion say. I want you to look at verse 8 of chapter 2 where Paul starts out this whole section on legalism, mysticism, and now, y'all want the $10 word for what I'm talking about this morning? Asceticism. It means that that self-denial, that punishment of yourself, that, that really serious religious stuff that really is an attempt to impress God. Verse 8 of chapter 2, see to it that no one takes you captive, literally means steal your mind. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and, here it is, the basic principles of this world rather than Christ. Do you see it? Paul's saying it's either worldly religion, human philosophy, or the grace of Jesus Christ. And in our text, salvation is, um, is, is, is through doing, he, they say, through doing, that is worldly principle. And, it, and literally, Paul says in verse 20, that it's another doctrine. The word there literally is the word where we get our word dogma from. He's basically saying this, hey, you, you're dead to the world, you're alive in Christ. Why would you go back under that worldly philosophy, why would you submit yourself to that dogma, to that teaching? Verse 20, since you died with Christ, 
to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules, literally, teachings, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Why go back? Why go back? He's actually addressing people who've put their trust in Christ. I mean, these young believers in this this little town of Colossae, kind of a has-been little two-horse town, you know, it wasn't even he that started the church there, but but, uh, Epaphras is calling in some backup kind of uh, to get Paul to help with some false teaching that's going on. And man, these, these folks, they heard the gospel, they heard all about the work of Christ on our behalf, grace, forgiveness that comes to us as a gift and only by believing and receiving. They're, they're doing great. And the false teachers come in and they say, hey, great, but you know where, where it really is, is it really is in doing this and doing that. And, and if you don't do these things, you are not acceptable to God. And just this yoke of heaviness is just laid on these, these young Christians. Dick Lucas said the devil is happy to provide a religion that can seem to satisfy people while keeping them from God at the same time. And there's something in the human heart that really wants to say, I had a part in it. I come. I, I did it. Me and God, we did it together. Aren't you proud of me, God? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. But Jesus really did come to deal with our sin. Look at verse 13, and just in a run-up to our passage. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, being dead means inability. Dead people don't have the ability to reform themselves, to, to become, to make themselves acceptable. This is what the Bible teaches. When you were dead in your sins, verse 13 of Colossians 2, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature how you are, God made you alive in Christ. Action of God. He forgave all our sins through the cross, through believing and receiving. We get it on the action of God and not ourselves. He says He forgave all our sins, canceling the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. That's the list of all of our sins before a holy God. He took it away from us, nailing it to the cross. You know, who's going to be your Savior? That's what Paul's getting at here. Is it going to be you or is it going to be Christ? Self-salvation doesn't work. It can't work with a holy God. In fact, uh, food perishes, uh, religious activities are completed. Paul goes on to say, look, when all that's said and done, they just kind of perish with use. Look at verse 22 of our text. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and human teachings. And these things cannot move what is real in the eternal realm, even though they may be religious, even though they may be rigorous. So first, who's going to be your Savior? You or Jesus? You spell worldly philosophy, worldly religion, D-O, do. You spell Christianity, D-O-N-E, done. Grace for you. Okay, second thing I want you to spell is I want us to learn how to spell spiritual growth. Here it is. Write it down. F-A-I-T-H. What does that say? Faith. 
Spiritual growth is by faith in what Christ has done. The just, the justified, those declared innocent, righteous on the basis of Jesus' work rather than our own works, the just shall live by faith. Not only do we come into a relationship with God by the action of another, the Lord Jesus, our frame of reference will always be the grace of God. We will never be able to walk outside of the grace of God and say, see, I am the one now who is providing my righteousness. We're always going to come out of that grace. We're going to rest in that grace. We're going to believe in the gospel. We're going to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to follow God's word. And God is going to work in our lives as we walk with him by faith in his son. Simply put, asceticism, remember that, that, that kind of serious deprivation of oneself, that, that kind of serious denial, religious denial. We cannot fight the problems in our life, the problems in our flesh, with our flesh. We can't, we can't be opposite these huge issues and in our own works and in our own flesh conquer them. It must be the power of God working in us and through us. I'll give you some examples. And maybe you can think of, of people, maybe you can think of, of people throughout the history of the church. If the problem is greed, what do we do? We take a vow of poverty. We just get rid of it all. We're going we're gonna to meet it with our own answer. If the problem is lust, what are we going to do? Well, we're going we're gonna to do celibacy. Or we're going to do self-flagellation. We're going to beat ourselves. Or, in some cases, we're going to emasculate. If the problem is food, what are we going to do? Deprivation. If the problem is people drinking too much alcohol, what are we going to do? Teetotalerism. We're going to line it up. We're going to do the opposite. We're going to, over, we're going to compensate for those problems in our flesh. If the problem is a need for approval of others, what are we going to do? Then we're going to retreat from people. We're just going to be done with people. We're not going to risk it anymore. We're going to handle this. That's not a great way to live, by the way. Or just a thousand and one spiritual techniques for me to de defeat the problems in my life. But it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. In fact, even in the church, over time there have been many periods where, where folks have moved into asceticism and they put their trust and led people other people to put their trust in these type of things rather than the completed work of Jesus and living by faith in the grace of God. Anthony, St. Anthony, the father of monasticism, he started the entire monastic movement. He, uh, he decided that the way to, to be godly, for him to be godly, was to never, ever throughout his entire life change his clothes or his shoes. Yeah, thank you for that face. <laughs> Can you imagine what the smell of that godliness was? And that is pleasing to God. Maybe he's just like, like wishing Mr. Clean would come along or something. I don't know. Simeon Stylite or Stylites. This guy's incredible. He spent the last 36 years of his life on a 50-foot pillar in the desert. Never came down one time. And he won't even go into all that had to happen. For him to stay on a 50-foot pillar his entire life. The people would come from all around. Look, he has escaped worldliness. 
That is what it looks like. There's Simeon Stylitis, the paragon of virtue. We are just these ordinary... We can, we'll never be like that. I think he was up there wishing for dominoes to deliver, but I'm not sure. And then there's Origen, the early church father. He had a little problem with sensual faults. So he emasculated himself. That's what he did. Wasn't that a bad day in his life, the first time he had a sensual thought after his little operation? Because see, these, you, you don't line up the flesh against the issues of the world, that is the philosophy, contrary to the philosophy of the Scriptures, the flesh, that is the power of, of our fallen natures, and the devil. You don't line up against the world, the flesh, and the devil and fight it with asceticism. Fight it with te spiritual techniques. Fight it with these things. Whether it's bloodlettings, whether it's all these other things. Beating themselves. You go toe-to-toe -to -toe with your own sin, you're going to lose. You're going to lose every time. It's what we call in sports a mismatch. A mismatch. It may look good. It may look spiritual. It may even ha give you some feeling of accomplishment, but you will lose. I played high school football, and um, it was my senior year, and about third of the way through the season, the coach decided to move me from one position on the football field to another, and I was like, this is great. I was playing outside linebacker, a uh, very aggressive type person, and he said, you know what we need for you to do? We need for you to get right in the middle of the defense and be the nose guard. I mean, that's the guy, the guy right in the middle, right? Who's, I mean, you, you're not coming my way. And I was like, oh, this is great. And I learned all these techniques and of, of how to brush off blocks. And, and we got there in and, and that game. And, man, we're in the dressing room. And we're yelling and hitting each other's shoulder pads and on the helmet. I mean, you're like, a, like some kind of a... A pack of wild people just getting ramped up for a killing or something, always followed by the Lord's Prayer, um, <laughs> spoken way too fast. I'm not sure how I like the Lord's Prayer sped up, like, you know what I'm talking about? My father would have It's like, you know, we might want to skip the Lord's Prayer if we're going to pray it like that. I, I'm conflicted about that, I always have been. Of course, prayer's good anywhere, right? But man, we came out, the, they opened the door, I mean, we were, they opened the door, we're slapping the lockers on the way out, it's just loud, we're running onto the field, there's this huge paper banner, we just break through the banner, and the banner says, go Bobcats. Now that, that should be a clue, Bobcats are little tiny little cats. <laughs> and the Bobcats, the mighty Bobcats, broke through, and... Uh, Man, we're out in the field, and we look over, and here they come. They're breaking through their paper, and it should have said, Go Elephants. Man, they were huge. They, we were 1A, so don't ever be impressed about me telling you that I played football. We were 1A, they were 2A, and they were enormous. And we were on the field, and I came in there, and uh, let me tell you, the guy in front of me, you know, they say, It doesn't matter how big they are as long as you have good technique. It matters how big they are. <laughs> and the guy in front of me alone was a mismatch for me. And then I learned the first play that they were going to do this thing called a double team. Had two of them on me. One hit high, one hit low, and I was not a factor in that play. That's what self-salvation is like. 
You lose every time. It's a mismatch. Save yourself the time. Save yourself the agony of trying to be your own Savior. Our own strength, our spiritual techniques, it's a mismatch and you lose. And, and you know, the problem is there's something inside of us that wants to believe that we can do it on our own. If we just had a proper spiritual knowledge, if, if we just had the, the techniques, particularly some ancient techniques, we can take on the world, the flesh, and the devil. Spiritually, we're often like the little dog that we have in our house. His name is Jax. Now, I've told you years ago, I, I'm, I grew up big dog, bird hunting type person. I am ashamed as a southern man to say I own a Yorkie poo, but I do. I own a Yorkie poo. And his name is Jax, and he's 10 pounds soaking wet. But I'll tell you something about Jax. He has a problem. He has a big problem to be so little. And his problem is he doesn't realize he's little. And there's something inside the soul of that little, poor little animal that does not see the size difference between he and other dogs in the neighborhood. And, um, and he, is, he is ready for all comers, let me tell you. And um, I just want to say, Jax, don't even go there. You, this, this is a mismatch. And there's this huge dog. I mean, he's snarling at this huge dog. And I'm like, oh, no. That's, that's you and me spiritually. We're just snarling at the world, the flesh, and the devil. We got all our, we're so confident that we can do this. Well, let me tell you something. It ain't going to work. Because spiritually, it's not your fight. It's not your fight. It is God who comes and wins salvation in our place. It is God who is alive by the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. It is God who gives us His Word. It is God who is going to lead. And, and there are many scriptures that talk about that. But one night, Gina and I were, were on a walk with Jax. And, uh, and not too far outside of our driveway in this huge dog, I mean, like five times more than that. The size of, it just came out of nowhere. And I mean, Jack, I've never seen more like teeth per pound of dog in my life. And it is just one moment from that little hors d'oeuvre being done. And, I, and, he, and, he, and he had a uh, uh, what's called a halter, not a collar. And I just had to right, it's just a, and I had to just like airlift him right out of the fray. And kicked the dog and ran the big dog away. Grabbed, you know, Jack goes up in the air, grabbed him. This is like multitasking, you know. And Jack's is basically like, yeah, we did it, yeah. <laughs> and I am thinking, this is ridiculous. Folks, you think you can line up opposite the world, the flesh, and the devil? And use some world religion, use some religious philosophy, use some techniques. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You cannot take on sin in your own flesh. There's no power. 
Paul says at the end of this text, he goes, you know, at the end of all the deprivations, all the harsh treatment of the body, all the don't touch, don't taste, don't do this, at the end of it, it has no power to restrain sensual indulgence. Because this is about the heart. Look at verse 23. Such regulations, worldly philosophy, indeed have the appearance of wisdom. Oh, the guru. Have the appearance of wisdom and their self with their self-imposed worship. That's like Martin Luther with his vigils and all that. Self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is the Savior. And He actually does deal with our sin at the cross. He actually does have the power from the right hand of the Father, all power and authority, living in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, by the power of His Word, He actually does have the power to keep His children as well as save them, for them to learn how to repent based on the the once and for all sacrifice that He has made, for them to learn how how to... lean into the truth and what is good and righteous and and the pathway that God would have us walk down. And I realize we're sometimes all over the highway. But God loves us. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. you believe that? It's not your fight. But let me back it up and read the whole thing. Because it really is, is it not, by faith, by faith in Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Self-salvation. It's never going to work. Worldly religion is never going to work. You know, I, I think about this, who's going to be your Savior, Jesus or you, and a thousand different iterations of what it would look like for you to try to be your Savior. I'm going to tell you, not only will it not work, save yourself the trouble, it's exhausting. It's the most exhausting thing you can ever think of because it's about you. And you'll never do enough. And you'll never be able to hold the line and keep it where you think it ought to be. I want to, as a believer in Jesus, I need to spell salvation D-O-N-E. What about you? And and, And I need to rest in the cross. And I need to live by faith in Christ. And I need over time, by all the means that I shared with you a moment ago, I need to trust Him in this life with Him to change me and to change you over time. That over time, you and I, with the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, and the gospel held forth, can not only be changed, but be agents of changing the world through the true religion called the gospel. And as we go to this table where we will celebrate none other than that cross, and we will remember and commune with the risen Christ, I want to read Paul's words one last time 
And I would call on you to reject a fresh self-salvation. I would call on you to reject everything other than the cross of Jesus for you to have a relationship with God. I would call on you to reject anything in your life that you are putting more trust in as a believer than the cross of Jesus and the presence of God by grace, by the Spirit, with the Word. And so let me read the Scriptures again. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why? As though you still belonged to it, do you submit to its teaching, its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and human teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom, but they're, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for the fact that you're an initiatory God of grace. If you've never put your trust in what Christ came to do, and you see that you're into self-salvation and you want to flee to Christ and His finished work, you pray with me, Lord, I see it. I can't do this on my own. I can't even partner with you to do it. And I want to turn away from everything I've called religion, everything that I've called Christianity. Repent of it and my sin and turn to you, Jesus. And put my trust solely in your completed work on the cross. Oh Lord, thank you that even now you've come into my life. Even now, you've given me the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that that as I move forward in my life, it would always be rooted in Christ. I pray, Lord, that, that you, would, you would create a deep desire to do good works. A deep desire to serve you and love you. And Lord, would you show the world the difference Jesus makes through me. Lord, there are many people here. We've known you, and yet somehow along the way, Paul is speaking to something that happened in our lives. Some people here, Lord, are, are very angry because somewhere along the way they, they kind of took the reins and they've done so much and they put so much in and they didn't get what they wanted and they are so mad with you because at the end of the day it was about their works and no longer about grace. Lord, would you cause them to repent of this worldly philosophy? Lord, there are people here that are so depressed and so filled with self-loathing because they didn't do what they thought they should have done and they can't even imagine that you would ever love them? Would you cause those people to repent of worldly philosophy? To come back to the sufficiency of the cross? Lord, as we go to your table as we remember yet again, would you bring that sense of the satisfaction that has been made once and for all for our sins as we have put our trust 
in you. Lord, would you raise up within us that rest in the gospel, that joy, that worship, and that service that comes out of your mighty work in us and through us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.